Learning how to grow your business, that is your job. Being the one to do everything in your business, however, is not. Welcome to That's Not My Job, an introvert's guide to building a business beyond yourself. All right, everybody, uh, excited to be talking to the guests that we have on the That's Not My Job podcast today. We have Stephen Hunt here with me. And Stephen has a business that is doing over a million dollars a year in revenue. And he currently has six employees working within his company. And so we're, what we're going to be talking about today is like what it takes to, you know, one scale to, you know, where Steven has been able to get to. And then we're going to be just going through some of the, the questions, challenges, and the areas um, of opportunity in Steven's business and, you know, how to really take that to the next level, um, you know, so we can help everyone listening in, you know, that may be in some of those similar uh, areas or similar revenue ranges, you know, be able to do the same thing. So Steven, real quick, man, do you want to kind of just give a you know brief overview you know what what is the business that you're involved in or businesses if it's more than one um and obviously you know i already touched on employee count and revenue um for your company um but just kind of tell us a little bit more about you know what what it looks like uh, in your organization right now absolutely yeah and first and foremost thank you so much for having me i will start off by saying that i uh was previously sick so it may sound like i'm losing my voice i'm a little bit hoarse today uh but it's still something we can get through yeah, oh, so I started my businesses about a year and nine months ago. And originally that had started off with real estate and just real estate. And what I mean by that is fix and flipping, buying holds, doing a little bit of wholesale, things like that in the real estate space with the goal to scale out a rental portfolio. Now, as time progressed and went on earlier this year, around March timeframe, we decided we we're going to start a property management business because we were looking at where some of our expenses were going to. And what's something that could add value to what we were doing? Where could we find more leads to come from? Uh, things like that. And so we decided to start our property management business. And we've been able to scale that up to about 70 properties under management currently. Mm -hmm. And by our one-year mark, which will be March of 2024, we are on track for about 150 properties under management, which has been awesome growth and a lot of learning lessons along the way because that growth has been so rapid. Amazing. That's super cool. And so just for people that are listening. So is that like long-term rentals, like normal, you know, residential, like tenants that are just staying for long-term leases or these, you know, uh, midterm rentals or these Airbnbs, like what type of management are you doing and in what markets? Yeah. So we are only in the Arizona market currently. Our goal is to expand outside of this. Texas will probably be our next market. Uh, and then we'll probably hit Nevada, Utah, some of the ones that are a little bit closer by. But it's not just long-term rentals. That's a great question. So one of the pain points I was having as a real estate investor and as I was scaling my rental portfolio was that the market was shifting and I had to shift my exit strategies that I was doing. I could no longer just do a long-term rental. I had to look at midterm rentals. I had to look at sober living. I had to look at pad split. I had to look at all these different things. And if you are a buy and hold investor, you know that most property managers will not take on all those things. They say, just long-term rentals. We're not going to do anything with short-term. We're not going to do midterm. It's just long-term rentals. So then you have to find another person for the short-term rentals and the midterm rentals, somebody else for the pad splits because people don't want to pivot and grow in these markets. And I saw a huge opportunity there. So our company is called Habu Property Management, H-A-B-U, and that stands for highest and best use property management. Mm, I like and that. the idea behind this, thank you. <laughs> the idea behind this was so that investors could come to us and we could be those consultants for them hey, here's what you could get as a long-term, as a midterm, as a short-term, or if you wanted to do shared living, co-living, 
these are what those numbers would look like. And this is what it would take to get you to that point. This is how you would have to furnish it. And we've tried to make it this really consultative approach to helping people maximize the amount of cash flow they're getting, because that's what I needed as an investor. And I couldn't find a property manager that was willing to do that. So we decided to integrate all of those different exit strategies and manage all of those different things. So that way we could guide investors and be the experts and be the consultants for them. Love that. So, you know, it's taking it another step of not just like, hey, just come to us long-term rentals or come to us for your Airbnbs. It's like whatever is going to make the most sense for this property for you to get the best return as the investor is the strategy. Absolutely. And we have the ability to pivot in those strategies too and strategize in that, which is very powerful because people love the idea of midterm rental right now because, oh, I can get somebody in for six months at a higher, you know, the normal rate. Well, it doesn't happen instantaneously. So the fact that we manage short-term and midterm lets us pivot. We list it as a short-term while we're marketing it out for a midterm. That way we're still generating revenue for our landlords and our clients that we're working with. But when that perfect midterm person comes along, then we can say, hey, we got somebody in for eight months. We got somebody in for four months. That way they don't have so much turnover. They don't have as many expenses. The management rate is lower. Uh, so they end up taking home a lot more money, which they're very satisfied with as well. Love that. Just creating a win-win. I love I love hearing about businesses like that. You know, it's creating a niche that, you know, there wasn't really uh, a niche for it. And you're just creating a niche, you know, to serve the people like yourself just from, you know, having that same struggle yourself. So um, love, love to hear it. So now that we have a, you know, better understanding for those that are listening on like, okay, like this is what the business currently this is what you do. This is what it looks like. 16 members, you know, a million plus year in revenue. Let's talk about like some of those, what, what are some of the, the challenges or some of the things that you want to be able to talk through? Um, you know, I know there's a few questions that, you know, offline that we were, uh, you know, we were able to look at, you know, from you, but when it comes to delegating, team building, scaling, you know, and overall building a business that, doesn't rely all on Steven and, you know, everything that you do every day, you know, what, what questions do you have? And, you know, let's, let's kind of talk through some of those things. Totally. So, uh, something that was really unique for me, I came from the corporate America world and I was doing sales training. I was in sales as well and built up these skill sets and kind of took that entrepreneur approach. So I thought I had a lot of these things figured out because I said, wow, I'm getting paid to learn these skill sets. I'm getting paid to lead and manage and do all these things, that's going to be so easily, you know, I'm going to have the ability to transfer that over uh, to my actual business. And it was so completely different than what I had ever. What, what was different? I would, I would love to hear that because there's a lot of people that are probably listening and they're like, I'm in my W2 job and I probably know a lot of the, they, sometimes people think they know a lot of the things that they're going to need to know and they make that transition. What are some of those? I'd be curious, like, what were some of those things that you're like, oh, crap, this isn't what I was expecting when making that transition from W2 and working as an entrepreneur and then going to more entrepreneur and, and working on your own? Yeah, it, it, it's a drastic difference there, too, because as an entrepreneur, you are focused on the task of being a leader. You're focused on the task of training somebody. You're focused on some of these qualities that you know you need in the business, building your culture and all that kind of good stuff. However, as a entrepreneur, I was not aware of how to build processes correctly. I was not aware of what systems I was going to need. I was not aware of all the legalities that went behind it. So there was so much more behind the scenes that I needed more of that integrator person with me because I was great at going and initiating. And when we have people in the office, when we have a team member, being able to work with them, that part I love. However, getting to that point was the hard part 
to where we could actually start to hire people, to where we had the systems and the processes in place. Because we have made those mistakes where we've hired people on and we go, here's your email address. Let's get started. Good you know, and, and and we thought that, okay, they'll just pick it up. They'll get the hang of this. You know, they're they're gonna have to kind of run with us as we go. And we set set that up front of expectation too. And it doesn't happen. They sit there, they sit on their hands and they don't know what to do. They're not gonna ask for more things to do because now it's a cush job. I'm getting paid. I just get to sit here and they don't have enough tasks for me to do. It turned into a cush job for those people. Yeah. So a big issue that I ran into was not having everything laid out for everybody. And we still don't have that ideally put together either. Yeah. Um, also, just, knowing to, just so you know, no one ever has that completely laid out because at every stage of growth, you're trying to then continuously lay it out for more layers of your organization. So it's just the more beginning stages get more dialed in, but then there's always the next stage that's now needing to be put together because you went to the next level and the next level and the next level. So well, it never I, goes away. It's a constant. Exactly is, yeah. As we run more employees, the one employee that I wanted to do 20 tasks, I'm realizing they should only be doing four tasks mm -hmm. and we should hire somebody else to do the next four tasks and we should hire somebody else to do the next four tasks. That way they're dialed into just that thing and they master that one thing. Yeah. And I think that on that in general is as especially like the first hires that really any business owner makes, it's typically what you're doing is you're hiring generalists. Like, hey, I needed to wear five different hats. I needed to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this too. And sometimes I might need help with this as well. And that's kind of how a lot of the first hires happen. And then as you grow, as you're starting to experience now, it's like once you start you know, building out some of the core team of generalists, then you're like, ooh, I need to actually have a specialist that actually knows what the heck they're doing and actually has years of experience doing this specific role to make a big difference, you know? So like that's, and it's kind of a, especially when you're starting, right? It's like, you know, the generalist costs less because they're like, just have general skills and then the specialist costs more. And it's like, it's this like, do I go get the person that, you know, knows less, but they just want to work hard, but I'm going to have to freaking train them for months or do I go get the more expensive, but... I always make this joke and maybe this is a bad joke in our office, but I'm like, I need someone with batteries included. Like I don't need to, I don't want us to be spending six months with this person to get them up to speed. Like they need to come in and be telling us how it needs to be up to speed, not the other way around. <laughs> totally. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. And that was a big misconception for me too. Going back to that corporate experience was these salespeople that were coming in that I was training they already had previous sales experience. They were already kind of a specialist. So I was just developing further what they already had. So maybe they were 20% of the way there and I needed to get them the rest of the 80% of the way there. Whereas coming into our own business, I thought I could do the same thing, but these people were starting at zero. Yeah, it's like going from zero to one is so much harder than going from like seven to 10. It's like, all right, they're like, just need to be kind of like, you know, refined versus like, oh my gosh, they know nothing. <laughs> Totally. And, and that's, that's the approach that we're taking now is let's get people in that actually know what they're doing or at least have some of those intangible skill sets, right? You don't need to know real estate perfect in this property management business, but if you have strong administrative skills and you know how to file and that's easy for you, you have a place, you have a role and that's perfect. You don't need to need to know the ins and outs of the business. You have exactly what you need to do and we can develop that and grow you from there. Hundred percent. And so, so before, and so before we jump into some of the questions, um, just for those listening, 
what is your position in the organization? A lot of people that do listen to this, they're more, you know, they are introverts or like integrator type roles. There are definitely visionary type personalities that listen to this as well. But, you know, what what is your position just so people have some context as well? Yeah, I, I would say that I fall more into the category of that visionary uh, personality. And we partnered up actually on the property management business with one of my very, very close friends, which I know is typically a no-no, but he was my property manager. He was willing to learn all the things. He did want to have his own business. So I said, this this could work out really, really well, and it is working out really well. So he operates on a day-to-day basis, whereas I'm looking for changes in the market. I'm looking to network with more high-level investors. I'm looking to grow the business, bring the opportunities here, create partnerships with PadSplit, create partnerships with other organizations. That way we have the opportunity to grow as fast as possible. Um, most companies end up having an issue with their sales. We don't have an issue with that because we have the opportunities coming in. It's now the processes, it's the systems that go behind that so we can make sure everybody's serviced at a high level. Yep. Yep. I love that. Yeah. And the, uh, that, that's, that's definitely, you know, when I look at any business, I'm like, it's always like sales has to be the foundation because if you're not selling something, you got no money to do anything with. It's like, got to make sure sales are happening. Then it's, are we profitable to be able to afford to pay for the things that we need to, to continue to grow the company? And then when we could say, yes, we're selling stuff. Yes, we're making a profit. Then it's okay. Well, maybe we should get our shit together and get organized and actually start then getting processes, you know, get the SOPs and more of that stuff, you know, uh, dialed in. And, you know, then it's, you know, organization design and like, who, who do we need to get, you know, the right seats on the bus and, you know, all of those things. And, I think it's an important thing to note where, you know, people are getting their business going. It's like the first thing is sales. Like you've got to be selling your thing consistently. So money's coming in, profitability's coming in. Um, and I'm speaking to the integrator, you know, more uh, that that crowd too right now of like, you can't just, you know, if you're just organized, as shit, but like you don't have sales, it's like you're going to have an unorganized or you're going to have a super organized nonprofit. You know, it's like you got to like that has to be one of the main focuses. And then when you bring the organization to the sales and profit, that's what then allows it to continue to grow more and more and more. So um, so what what would you say then, Stevens, like one of the first questions you want to tackle in regards to, you know, where you guys are at right now? Yeah, I would say on our end, a big thing that I've been trying to understand uh, as a business owner on this side of it now, because coming from real estate before, I I could decide how many houses I want to take on. That's kind of at my own pace. Now we brought in our project manager. We have people that can handle those things, which is great. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of this with the property management, this is a real fully functioning business. I totally understand that we view a real, real business as a, whole, as a real business, but <laughs> I view this as that real business where we have client inquiries coming in. Those things need to be tended to. We need account managers. We need all this kind of stuff to make sure we're sustaining and growing. Yeah. One of the things for me in this business now is when is the right time to start hiring people? Because we see those profits coming up and coming up and it's okay. Now we can start paying ourselves a little bit more. Okay. Now we can actually start to take money here, but instead, you know, when do we decide to make those decisions on let's bring on a hire who's going to generate more revenue or who's going to get this more organized so we can service at a higher level so we can continue to grow that grow that reputa- uh, reputation in that brand yeah 100% so 
at any given time, um, especially as a growing organization is, is, is happening, there's always going to be multiple roles that could make sense to hire. It's like, do we hire a salesperson or do we hire an, out, an account manager, another property manager? Do we hire additional administrative help or what, what does that look like? Right? So what, what you all, what I always, and this is something that we have our team do internally and you can, you know, make a note of this and for anyone listening as well. Um, we put everything through an impact and an effort, uh, basically calculator. And it's, it's really just like a, you know, a, a very, you know, janky looking spreadsheet. It's not as fancy as it sounds, but basically what we do is we put in like column one of the, uh, the spreadsheet, the desired role. So that would be, you know, like you getting together with your team and you guys having a conversation of like, what would make, what hires are we thinking about that may make sense to, uh, to bring on next. And so it's like, okay, you know, and what, what would those be, Steven? Like just rattling off maybe a couple. Uh, A runner, an admin assistant, another property manager. Um, Okay. So a runner, property manager, property manager, admin assistant. So three different roles there. So, and if there's any other ones, you can, you know, it works the same way. But so what you want to do is you want to list out the name of those roles that you want to hire. And then in the next column on your spreadsheet, so it's going to be title of the role. Next column on the spreadsheet is going to be impact, uh, estimated impact. And what does that mean? So what we do is we rate any role that we're going to hire on a scale of one to five. And the impact of that role is on a one to five is a one is like it's low impact. It's not going to be a game changer for our business right now. It's like it is a role that we do want to get into the business, but it's, you know, it's it's a one out of five or five out of five, like five. This is like detrimental to our business, like another property manager is maybe a five in the situation of like, you have to run this through a filter. It's like, we're doing a bad job with proper, you know, managing properties right now because our other property manager is at bandwidth. They cannot do all of the work that they need to, and they are drowning. And so we are losing business. We are getting negative reviews. We are, you know, these things are happening because of not having this. So like that would drive that one up to maybe a five because it's like it, this is causing lots of problems versus, you know, looking at that on a scale on the property manager is like, you know, our property manager right now is doing fine. They're not really, you know, stressed out. You know, we do know at about a hundred properties, we're going to need to hire another one. We're at 75 right now. Maybe that's a January or February higher because it's not that urgent right now. Let's call it a three, you know, or a two and a half, three, right? So like that's when you're ranking on the impact, it's the impact that it's going to have on the overall company. And I think of impact and profitability of like, what is the likelihood that this role is going to increase profitability quickly? Or it could be savings. It could be like, oh my gosh, our finances are a freaking train wreck and we need to hire an in-house accountant to help with this. And, you know, our, that's a mess, right? So it's, you want to look at these things and, you know, um, on each individual role of like, what would that impact be one to five? And then the next one is going to be, uh, the next column is going to be the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that mean? And, and you're going to rank this by one to five as well. And so the effort is going to be how hard is it going to be to find this person, hire this person, onboard this person, get them integrated into the team and actually making a difference for the problem we're hiring for them to solve. 
So that would be, you know, like a low effort one would be like your runner, right? Like that's low effort because it's not like it's not freaking rocket science that you're having them do. Um, but maybe a higher effort one would be, oh, you know, hiring a, a CFO for your company. It's like, this is a big risk for our company. Like this is a lot of effort. We're going to have to do lots of interviews. We're going to have to really prep before we bring this person on to make sure that we're set up for success. Like that's a higher effort. So you look at your effort as like, you know, how hard is it going to be to find them? How hard is it going to be to go through those stages to where they're actually solving the problem you're wanting them to solve in your company? So I look at name of the role, the impact of the of what they're going to be able to do for the company, the effort of how hard it is going to be to actually, you know, work with, uh, you know, get them integrated and making a difference. And then the final piece to that as well um, that I'll have on that Excel is going to be estimated time, time frame. So that would be like, you know, our recruiter does this now, but like this would be something that you or whoever does the recruiting on your team, like they would put in like how long they think it's going to take to actually have someone hired for that role. So like if a job out when a job ad went out today, when do they think that they would actually be starting? So then you have that that date, you know, estimated data there for you to look at as well. Um, and so when you have all of that together, and then you could rank them. It's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, one of those roles is a four out of five on impact and a two out of five on effort. It's not going to be that hard, but it's the highest return on investment to go after this role first. And then it's also not going to take us three months to find this person. Like we could probably do this in the next month. So whenever it comes to hiring, that is what I require our team to do and what our recruiter um, is required to maintain is an impact effort, you know, calculation of all of the roles that we have actively out for hire. And we're constantly ranking them by that. Cause if we know that we can only hire, you know, one role, three roles, however many, then we need to make sure that we're going after the highest impact roles first. Love that. And I took some notes on that too. I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing that in the future. How are you defining at that point too, when you're talking about these roles? Cause this is, this is with the assumption that we already know what roles we need. A lot of people when you're starting a business go, what the hell do I need? Like who, who would help? I know I'm inundated. I know I can't take on anything else and I need help, but who is the next person? How are you guys defining that on, on who is the role versus I'm going to hire a jack of all trades and throw everything over at them and hopefully they can, you know, get up to speed. Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, so, so something uh, I'm going to, I'll share this with you. And then for anybody that's, that's listening as well, um, you can go to activityinventory.com. Um, but I'll, I'll get this shared with you. Um, here, I'm going to just make a, make a note in the, uh, the chat here. Um, or if you just want to make a note on the side, just activityinventory.com. So what the, the best way to identify like what the next role is to hire, in my opinion, is one, is it going to be a role that you're going to be taking some stuff off your plate or is it going to be for other team members? I guess that's my first question for you. Yeah, it would be for other team members. I'm not involved in our day-to-day -day operation with our businesses because I am taking on more of that visionary role. Now, when it comes to the problems in the business, finding the people, finding the clients, all that kind of stuff, those are things that I will tackle. Uh, so that's about as involved as I end up getting is I look at what our problems are and let's start solving these. Okay, got it. So I would say then, first question, what is the number one constraint for your business right now? Why are you not growing faster right now? 
Um, it would be that we are completely disorganized, full transparency. Because the growth has been so rapid, we haven't mm -hmm. had that moment to get those systems and processes in place of, hey, it's going to start step one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. So therefore, everything's all over the place. And then we're not getting the ultimate experience. So we end up not wanting to take on more clients until we get that handled, obviously. Okay. So so what I'm hearing then is it's it's really the the stage of onboarding new properties and then like the management it's the fulfillment of your service you can if you could you know if you could fulfill for you know a gazillion more properties today you would be just going out and hammering and selling and getting more clients it's the constraint is being able to onboard successfully more clients right now correct yeah because what happens once you get them you know yeah you got to make sure they get taken care of and the promise that you promise them is actually fulfilled on Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. So, so what, what I would say then, cause I always look at, it's like, whatever the constraint is, like if the conversation that we were having, um, was you saying, you know, we're having a hard time bringing in new business, I would be saying something different. And if the problem was, you know, everyone's canceling their service, then that's another problem. But so I would say the number one role that you want to be looking at is I always look at where's our constraint for the company right now. And so if the constraint is, you're nervous to bring on more clients to your business because the fulfillment of what you're promising them isn't super dialed in yet, then the next hire is going to be someone that's helping with that process. So my question would be, is it whose job is it in your company right now to make sure that the fulfillment is, you know, what it should be? Um, is it your, your partner on the property management side or what's that look like? Yeah, it is our partner on the property management side. So he is the property manager because that's where his previous experience came from. And it, it's exactly that. So he's doing all the onboarding. He's doing all the fulfillment side of it. But also because in property management, it's not a transactional business. This is a relationship business. You have people that constantly call in. There's things that break at these houses. So you're constantly talking to those vendors. There's a million and one things that come up and distract you and pull you away from focusing on either getting things onboarded or handling all of the clients and what they're going through currently. I think about it as that account management side of it, right? Making sure that everybody's satisfied. But also I think of this in the sense of uh, looking for that perfect person. It's almost like a loan processor, right? You have your mortgage broker that you talk to. They don't collect your docs. They don't get you started. They just make sure that everything's like, they just make sure that you get to the finish line. The loan processor is collecting everything and making sure it's organized and good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that could be, some, you know, it could be a, uh an in-house administrative assistant that could be, you know, an operations coordinator, um, you know, whatever the technical lingo is for the role in property management. Um, but if you're, so it's, it's basically your partner's the bottleneck of like, he cannot take more onboarding calls and actually make sure that those are then being fulfilled on. Is it more, so, so this is what I would do. Um, cause it's, it's really going to depend on like where that time's being eaten up is I would have your partner do an activity inventory, um, which basically long story short of what that's going to do is have him, uh, him or her be listing out all of the things that they do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly for the business. And then they're going to be ranking um, out of those things that they do, like their level of competency that they feel that they are, the things that they love to do, um, what they think the dollar per hour is on those things. And then 
you can work with, you can identify and go through it with them to identify what are the things that they need to delegate and have a conversation around how many hours are being spent on certain things. Because I, it would be under my assumption, and you, I'm assuming, so you're going to have to tell me whether this is true or not, but my assumption would be the better use for this individual's time is going to be bringing in someone else that can do all of the property onboardings and actually start taking on the, you know, all of the calls and all of the things that come up from the actual properties themselves. And what this individual should be doing more of is more of the design of the how we do it here at Habu, right? Is the name yep. of the company. So, yes. so what he should be, is it a guy or girl? I don't know. I'm that. Guy. Okay. So, so what he should be doing is like, he's going to design the, how we do things at Habu. That's what that's, that's going from working in the business to working more on the business. Like that's one of the next steps that this individual needs to take activity inventory out all of the things that they're spending time on. And then they need to, you need to be looking at what, what role you could be bringing in that can be sort, uh, can be supporting that operational, um, you know, side of, of the business and they need to just be documenting how they do it and be passing that on and kind of training up someone else to take that stuff over because they're going to be way better served having, you know, putting those processes in place and then giving that to someone else that could do them. So then when you go hire a second property manager, a third property manager, a fourth property manager, they know the Habu way of doing property management because he's the one who designed it because he knows it better than anyone else. And so that's, that's what we do when it comes to process development. I have no freaking clue how half of our financial crap works at our company. Same thing with video editing. I don't even know what software we use. I don't know any of that stuff. But what I do know is that anyone that I bring in that's going to be a manager of a department, it is their responsibility to document the things that they're doing and the way that they do it that's getting great results for our customers our clients or for whatever the job that it is that they do so that they can then successfully pass that off to another team member to be able to help with that along the way or when we hire additional editors or finance ap members whoever that they just get best practices from the person that's best going to teach it which is the best one at the company doing it beautiful i love that now on that front as well do you ever find yourself sitting down with those managers and helping them define what that looks like? Because I've noticed too, uh, in the short experience that I do have is that sometimes they can't communicate and define every single task that they're doing because it's some of it just comes up and they go, Oh shoot, that is something else that I have to do and relying on them to be able to document every single thing as they're inundated as it is, uh, yeah. can also be a challenge. So baby steps. That's my first thing. It's baby steps on documenting. You don't try to document and SOP out your entire business in a day. But what I would say, and what I tell people and I recommend people to do is do the SOPs around the things that are repeated the most frequently to start and make it simple. Like literally there's, uh, you know, like I, I have all these like softwares and things that I'm like, oh, these are cool to use to, you know, SOP things out. But I'm like, bare minimum starting out, start a, you know, a Google, Google account. If they don't have a Google account, Google Drive, open up a Google Sheet. And then the top left of the Google Sheet, what is the department name for whatever the role is? So like for in, in his case, it's operations, department name, name of the process. And 
then the next you know little tab on there could be uh, after the name of the process and that let's just take like a, a standard process that he does very often onboarding a new property and it could be onboarding a new property for midterm rental onboarding a property for long-term rental management onboarding an airbnb whatever that looks like so you'd want to have whatever that process is and the best way to do it is as he's doing it like literally when he's doing the next onboarding record the onboarding and take that recording drop the zoom link or whatever you know the recording was in after that process here watch you know so then when somebody else is coming in they could watch you know john or whatever you know actually do an onboarding of that type of uh of the process and then on the uh you know then if there's any documents that need to be associated with it it's like oh there's like a checklist that needs to be done every onboarding copy the checklist paste it into the next thing like any relevant links that are helpful for this process just drop the links in there and then the next part of that is you know who developed this process and then it's like john's name would be there and then you know the next tab is when was this last updated and whenever he did it is when it was last updated and so just piece by piece like we we try to give our our managers you know when they're needing to develop processes i'm like let's get three or three four a week like so it's not like hey document all of the sops for your entire department and everyone that you manage this week while you have 100 other things going on it's like Hey, when you do your onboarding on Tuesday with that new client, record it and drop these links into this Google sheet. And then over time, week by week, like just doing three, four a week, I mean, over a month, you're going to have 12, 15 processes and it's not perfect. I get it. But it's like, we're not, you don't, you're not going for perfection because we know what's going to happen is the way that you do onboardings is going to be different in six months than it is today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going to change. I, I see that too. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I took a few notes on that too. So thank you for sharing that. One of the other things that I've tried to do as somebody that works more so on the business, right? I'm not the operator. I'm not in it all day long. I'm constantly trying to create noise and bring things to the table here. But as I'm looking at where their bottlenecks are, and if that's difficult to communicate of, hey, walk me through how to onboard from start to finish. And they're, oh, oh um, well, first we have to, and it's the kind of this, this game of trying to remember all the steps right in that mm -hmm. moment versus... As just you're doing record it? it while you're doing it. I never tell people to, unless it's something that's just, it's not feasible. I always tell people the best way to document your process is just record it as you're doing it. Next time you do it, like next time you do the vendor order, next time you handle a maintenance request, next time you do an onboarding. And that's the best time to do it. Cause then they're not in their head like, uh, uh, or they're like seven minutes into the recording, they sneeze and they're like, I needed to delete it and start it over. Cause it's not professional. It's like <laughs> none of that matters. It's like just having it there and just starting the deck of the recordings is what's going to make the biggest difference. I love that. And we've actually just started implementing loom and trying to do that a little bit more and be cognizant of, Oh wait, I'm doing that task. I'm doing that task that somebody else has to do. Let me record this. Let me actually make sure that I document this this time around. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's just you being, you know, the leader of just like telling them like, Hey, like, let's just get three done this week. Let's get four done this week. Let's get this part. Let's get this one done this week. Like just continuing to drive home on, on those things. Um, another, uh, just a recommended AI that our team started using for SOP development as well recently is uh Tango AI. Um, it's on, you could just Google it. It's free for like their base plan um but tango t-a-n-g-o 
uh, AI and it's pretty cool. Like you can, um, Loom is great. Like we use Loom the most, but we, we've been starting to play around with this Tango AI cause it creates like actual PDF, you know, SOPs for you as you're like clicking through steps on processes on your computer. So like that's helpful too. And it's, it's pretty cool. I've been nerding out on that a lot. Um, <laughs> um as soon as we, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's probably the first thing I'm logging into. Cause that sounds awesome. Yeah, Anything it's pretty pretty cool. Ends of somebody else that's doing it in terms of our operator here, because I it would can't make relax. him be able to do it faster. Like instead of him spending maybe forty five minutes on one SOP where he's having to like you know click this first, it's just like he can go do all of it and then it'll just like put it together for him. So, and as, as a typical visionary type of personality myself, um, I, 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 I've actually been trying to do things almost wrong. So I see what he's doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'm listing out processes without even going over it with him and saying, this is how we onboard a property, right? From start to finish. Cause I've noticed too, in that sense that it's easier for them, um, to tell me, no, no, that's we, you missed this and this and this, and it has to be like this and this and this too. And I'm like, perfect. But at least I got you 20% of the way there. And you got to be the person that says, no, it actually has to be like this. I feel like it's mm -hmm. way easier for people to acknowledge what's needs to be added to it as well versus just coming up with that for scratch you know oh yeah 100 percent. and and the thing is too is like i i used to get more caught up in like needing to make sure you know each manager's process is perfect and like all of those things are like super dialed in but the thing that i try to do more and i encourage our leaders to do with their managers to do more is really just make it super clear for the team of what a successful outcome is. And we have this like other running thing here of like, I don't care how the sausage is made as long as the sausage is made the way that we're promising it to the customer. And totally. so if they have a process or they find a new technology, they want to use a different project management tool. I'm like, bless, do it. I don't care. I do not care as long as the outcome. And like, that's as the visionary for yourself, Cause like, even though I'm like more of an integrator, I am the visionary as like, I sit in the CEO role for, you know, two of our companies, like Pace is more of like a chairman, you know, visionary, you know, co-founder, you know, with business development and things like that. But he doesn't manage any of the people. He doesn't build the teams or any of that. Like he'll, he'll find really great talent and, you know, to refer to our company, which is amazing. But, you know, I have to actually kind of set the vision of like what the things that we're doing internally as a company. Um, but our biggest role as leaders, especially as you start developing the team is like, what is a successful outcome you want? And then assigning that to the team for them to be able to do it. And so with, you know, with that individual is like, what, what is that outcome that you need to achieve with hiring that other property manager? It's like, well, a successful outcome would be, they need to be able to do all these things. Well, okay, well let's start advertising maybe for the role and let's set a goal of if they're going to start in three to four weeks, document the most touched things that they're going to be doing for a week for the next four weeks. And you're going to have 16 of the most pain in the butt that are like constantly happening processes documented that then when you're onboarding them, they're going to be able to, you know, learn faster on. I love that. One, one thing that you also added in there too, which I think is not to be skipped over and something that you're doing that you just mentioned is you are acting as that visionary, as a CEO in your company. And it sounds like you're actively communicating what that vision is to everybody too. So that way everybody's staying on the same page so that they want to create the processes. They want to make it easier because they know at the end of the tunnel, 
This means they could bring on three more people. That's going to help them out with their workload. They're not going to have to be the person responsible for all of it over the long term because they see where we are going. Yeah. And it's important to communicate that, especially when you want to get SOPs developed because people are like, I'm just doing the job. Like I could just do it faster and not have to freaking screw around with this. Or like then, you know, as they build a team under them, it's like, oh, now I got to screw around training Jimmy over here that freaking screwed up another call with an onboarding. And now it's my problem to put out the fire and, you know, the whole thing. Right. So that's where it becomes important for you as the leader to show like, why is it we're doing this? you know, for them, you know, for your partner or for whoever that leader is, it's showing them what this means for them as the company continues to grow. Like if you have maybe a, I don't know, we have a lot of roles we call juniors and then they move up in the company. So like a popular position in our company, maybe be like an editor. So it's like when someone starts, like they're a junior editor, they only get to do these things. There's only this, this comp associated with it. Then there's, you know, video editor where they're not a junior anymore and they're doing a little bit more challenging projects. Then there's seen, you know, or a, a lead, a, a lead role as an editor where they're managing, you know, a couple team members and then, you know, they can move up to production management. And, you know, so it's like, it's important to be talking about those things as well. Like when you're asking for something, the way to get the buy-in is making sure that they know what it means for them down the road. It's easier to say to you know, your property manager, that's your partner. It's like, they're obviously incentivized because they're a partner, but if they weren't a partner, it's easier to incentivize them by saying what this eventually looks like for you as you're going to be out of, you know, this day-to-day stuff as just the property manager and managing a team, which means that as you're going to be taking on more responsibility, you're going to be taking on more of a leadership role. And there's an opportunity to be able to earn more money at that next stage. But the things that have to be true, like, and this is a conversation, like I have this with different, you know, members on my team. Um, Literally yesterday, I was sitting with one of our team members and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to say your name, but I was like, you know, well, Susie, like what, what has to be true? What would have to be true for you to go from the role that you're at to the next, you know, leadership role? And she's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk through that. And so, you know, like some of it was like, okay, well, you know, there's processes that need to be more dialed in for the team that she's currently managing because they're still fumbling on some fulfillment things that they're supposed to be doing. And it's like, okay, well, more, more, uh, documentation around how things need to be done. Um, It needs to be more clear of a successful outcome for those specific team members as well. Um, For, you know, and that's, I know I've I've touched on that like multiple times, but like, I cannot stress enough of like, literally, like in in our different departments, I've, I've written out what success means, in my opinion, for a department. So like, for finance, like what does success in finance mean for our company? What does success mean in this? So like doing that for individual roles is helpful too, because you just, you put like bumpers on it for the role. Like, hey, what does it look like to be a successful property manager at Habu? And writing out what what would all have to be true for that to be a thing. And one of those things could be you document the processes that you do. So then when you're checking in with them and like they've been working with you for a couple months and you're talking through like, what are the newest processes that have been done? And they're like, well, I haven't done any. It's like, well, let's revisit like what success looks like in the role of a property management, uh, you know, role at our company, Habu. One of those things is that processes are consistently being written and consistently being updated as things change. So, you know, do you need some help with, 
maybe putting some of these together? Like, can I get you to sit with, you know, maybe Susie on the team? Cause she's really good at this. And like, she could show you how she does it. Cause we, this is one of the things that would mean success in your role is this being done. So I know I've kind of went on some tangents, but like, it's super clear. It needs to be super clear to the individuals to know what success in their role is. And if it's not written, it's just kind of a thing that they don't know. And it's, it's, it has to be repeated multiple times. I love that. Now, how often are you having those check-ins too? So let's say you are at the stage of business that we're at. We're not doing crazy revenue like you guys are at this point in time. We have this crazy built-out team. It is, you're hiring your first two, three people. And I think that's probably great for the listeners too, as you're hiring your first two, three people, how often should you be checking in with them to make sure that they comprehend everything, but not also inundating them with, you know, meeting a and pointless stuff and they feel like they can't accomplish anything. Yep. So, um, so we run our companies off of Gina Wickman's book traction. So EOS, you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial operating system. That's how we run our companies. Um, so that kind of answers that piece of it as far as like some of the functions there. But, um, we do also, uh, you know, especially in those early stages, this is more, more what it needs to look like is one-on-ones weekly. So I have a 30 to 45 minute one-on-one with all of my direct reports weekly and at the least amount every other week. Certain roles, like they're more dialed in and like they have a really good rhythm. There's not a lot of change in their role. So it's every other week is sufficient. But in some of those, like our CFO, I meet with, you know, every week, our um, director of operations, head of operations, I meet with them every week because it's like we have tons of movement going on and it's it's super important for those ones to do it. But like I have one of our, um, another senior role on our team that I meet with him every two weeks because that he, he's already on like a really good path and like doing a lot of the right things, but, and there's not a lot of major change in his department either. That's also important. But so baseline, at least every week is, is super, super important um, to touch base on, you know, what, what's working, what's not working, what's going well. Um, you know, what are the things that you assign them to get completed from previous week to this upcoming week and reviewing those things together? What are roadblocks they're encountering? What problems can you help them with solving or, you know, inquire um, other things that you'd like to see them be able to do? Um, and, you know, the, those conversations are about like SOPs, for example, like that just might be something that you set a goal for them to do over the next quarter is do X amount of those. So it's like, hey, like we talked about having 30 SOPs this quarter done and, you know, we're two months into the quarter and you have six. Dude, what's going on? Like, are you struggling? Like, do you need help with time management? Do you need to just get these things more on your calendar? Like, how are we like, we got to get this back on track. Like, so that's where those touch points are important to keep moving things along. I don't like micromanaging. If someone needs to be micromanaged, they're not going to work at our company very long. Cause I'm like, I don't have time to go and like babysit someone every day. It's like, here's what success looks like. Here are your core responsibilities of the things that you need to do in your role. And go and we're going to, and if it's my direct report, we're going to be meeting weekly and, you know, redirecting and reestablishing focus. Obviously they could text me, ask questions if they're in the office, like all that. Right. But that's kind of what I like to set, set them up for. And obviously when they're brand new and they need training, like you're going to onboard them. And if you, if your processes aren't super dialed in, it's like on the job training, just sit in this shadow. Like those are, those are all things that are okay. And very common, especially as you know, the first, dozen plus employees too. Love that. I, I see a common fear too with the smaller businesses 
um, with bringing on those employees because one-on-one meetings, I completely agree. I think that's ideal. I think a lot of people have a hard time getting the pushback at times too. I think it depends on your personality, but in general, because they don't want to annoy that person. They don't want to make that person feel like they're not doing things correctly and helping with that development because they might leave. And now the only help that I have, because I am a two-man, three-man show versus just the one-man show now. So you're saying like not wanting to do the one-on-ones as like you're worried about the team member feeling too much like pressure from that or like what? Uh, elaborate yeah, on I'm, that a I'm little. all for the one-on-ones. I'm saying just in general, I've noticed this too uh, with others is that they've been scared to do the one-on-ones or they've been scared to give them that pushback, telling them how they're doing things incorrectly and knowing how to communicate that effectively to them from a leadership perspective, because they're scared that if they say that they're doing something wrong, that that person might take it personally, that they might feel like they suck and they might not want to be a part of the company or feel like they're being like micromanaged in that way. And I, I think it's an unnecessary fear. However, I do see that very prevalent, especially from those beginning stages, as you obviously scale and continue to move on, it becomes very standardized. But in the beginning stage, when it feels like a very close, tight-knit family because it's two, three people hanging out in one small office, um, I, I see that happening often too. Yeah, and and the thing is, in those conversations, it's like your job as a leader is to communicate the vision of like where the company is going. Your job as a leader is to communicate the vision of like what the role is that that person is doing. Your job as the leader managing the person is then also to make sure that they understand what winning in their role looks like. Like imagine like, and I joke with our team sometimes and you know, I'm like super, I'm so freaking anal about making sure new team members have very clear um, you know, guidelines of like what success looks like in their first 30, 60, 90 days. Like I am like, I literally can like, I'm hounding on it all the time because imagine if you've never played soccer before, like no, you never even heard of soccer or like what the sport is. And like, you know, me and you and like a bunch of people just showed up at a soccer field. First time any of us ever heard of the sport ever got there. And there's a ball in the center of the field and there's these two goalposts and there's just like 20 people out there. And imagine if no one explained what the rules of engagement were for how to play soccer and like what winning was like, how do you win this game? How long should it be played? Does ever do you pick up the ball and run with it? Like, do you, you know, do, are you able to like, just like beat someone up on the field or like, do you have to like adhere to certain rules of engagement and like, how do you win? Like all of those things, like that is a lot of times how people bring people into their business is they just like bring them in and they're like, they have a title of their role, but like, even if it's a soccer game and you're like, you're the goalie, but like, you didn't know what soccer was. You're like, you'd be like standing in the middle of the field. I'm like, I'm a goalie. And they're like, well, what's that mean? And you're like, I don't really know, but that's my title. Yeah. Yeah. I have to stop the ball. That didn't tell me how, but yeah, stop it. That, <laughs> I don't know what I'm stopping it from, analogy. but exactly. I love the, do I elbow him in the neck? You know, to yeah. stop the ball. I got it too. I love that analogy that, it, that encompasses it perfectly too, is We've done that in the past. Definitely is is throw them the title. This is what you're going to do. You got it. Go for it. And then all of a sudden we're like, well, why aren't you doing these things? Well, we're not staying actively on top of it. We didn't explain in depth how to do those things and what that should look like. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a analogy and perfectly said. Yep. And so so that's you know, and and I know we've we talked on you know a lot of different points to you know building building teams and like creating clarity within the teams that you're building, um, but. You know, though that's that's the the one of the biggest things as you're building teams and like and and like you're saying and for someone that might be listening and they like screwed up, you know, some of these things like I've screwed them up, 
I've hired terrible people. I've hired people without doing even having a job description written for them. I've hired people and gave them incorrect titles. I've hired people and had no onboardings. Like I mean, these are all things like small business. And it's like the reason, you know, we have conversations like this is like, hey, like hopefully someone listening to this or like you listening to this, then it can help you avoid some of those same pitfalls. Like, you know, there's roles that we hired and like we literally did no screening. Like we had a guy that got let go earlier this year, but he got, he was one of our first uh, people in this specific department from like two years ago before we would do like background checks as a company. And so when we go to let him go and, you know, we referred him to another company from, he was out of state because we were bringing everyone in house. You know, he, uh, he went to go apply for this other company and they found out he had like a warrant out for his arrest. And, and we're like, that's interesting information, you know, and, but he lived in another state, it wasn't in like a finance role or anything, more of like a creative role. But it was like, you know, I say that to say, you know, we weren't where we are now. It's been through lots of trials and tribulations that we've went through to, you know, learn these things. And so it's, it's a, like being okay with, you know, not being super dialed in because it's, you're not going to be for a long time. Um, but just consistently trying to get better, consistently just trying to align the team on what winning is. Um, and, and that's really, as you continue to grow, putting roles out on the board. Um, another thing, and I know we'll, we'll probably be wrapping up here shortly, but um, does, does your company have an org chart that everyone... Yeah. No. Okay. So that would be another thing that would be helpful to do. Um, and so for those listening to just org chart is just like, what are all the roles? What are all the players on the field? Another, you know, example of that. It's like, who's the boss? Like, who's like the leader on the field? And, you know, it's like putting whoever that is and then who's reporting to who you can use, you know, tools like Miro, um, or you could use lucid chart, very cheap subscriptions where you can build out, you know, these processes or building out, you know, organization charts. So, and a lot of times, you know, when somebody's brand new, and this, you're in multiple of the seats, like, because when you first start a company, it's like, you know, you have CEO, um, which would be Steven. And then if it was, you know, no one else there, then you have sales, which is Steven. And then you or you have marketing, which is Steven, sales, which is Steven. And then you have fulfillment, which is Steven. And then you have finance and admin, which is also Steven. And so it's like you have your, you know, your org chart of like, all the things being done. And that'll also help give you a visual too of like where people are going to sit when you hire them. Because when somebody gets hired to work under that property manager, like you want to have their name there. And then when they're hired on, you have a little box or a circle with like whoever that new one is. And it's like they understand that they report to this person and they understand, you know, who does what in the company and who to go to for what based on, you know, being able to share that with the team. Love that. That's perfect. And I, I can directly relate to that too, because we have hired people on and they go, what does Steven do exactly? I don't, I don't see him all the time. Why, how come he's not in the office with us every single day? We, we've had that happen. And it's like, well, that's also, we didn't lay this out. What do we all do, right? And and they're wondering, why am I putting so much work in? And this person is, but maybe he's gone half the day, but not realizing that that's the sales side of it. That's the networking. That's the other things that go along with it. We didn't lay those things out appropriately. So it gives people that opportunity to question and feel maybe underappreciated too. What's their job or why does he do that? Or why don't I get to do that? Or why is this, you know, like, who do I, 
or just like people get stuck and they're like, I just didn't even know who to go to ask about this question because I just I don't I don't know who's in charge of it, you know. So it's like just some of those you know fun foundational things will be super helpful, um, you know, getting getting those uh, you know integrated in. So la- I guess last uh, let's take you know maybe just one more question before we you know wrap up. Yeah. So uh, one of the other questions that I had is what would you recommend for somebody trying to transition from a small team to a larger team? We have the sales flow coming in. We have a small team. We want to expand. We want to grow quickly. We can, we can take on a ton of properties, which will be great if we have these things in place, but we need the people. How do you make that transition? Because you run into that bottleneck where it's growth, growth, growth when it comes to your profits and revenues. And then you hit that that plateau finally, where it's like, I either need more people so that we can continue this on, but now all of our profits are going to take a huge dip. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a few different parts to that. So the going back to the question that I asked you earlier is it's always about what is the business's current biggest constraint? What is causing us to not be able to grow right now? So that's the question to constantly be asking. So the, and we answered that earlier where it's, well, you need more property managers. So the thing that's actually the constraint of your business right now, if you could throw in, you know, a hundred more properties tomorrow is the person sitting in the property management role needs to um, hire that next person to be able to help with property management. Like that would be the next thing. And the other important part behind that too is knowing how many properties can one property manager successfully manage where the clients are being serviced in the Habu way, which honors what success looks like for Habu for those clients that are being serviced. And once you know that, then you could start doing the economics on it as well. So let's say, for example, um, I'm just going to make up numbers because let's just, you know, just for easy sakes here. So say, for example, one property manager, if all they were doing was just property management and say they could manage a hundred properties, you know, between long-term Airbnb, all, all those, right? So if you look at that one person can manage a hundred properties and let's say the average amount, I mean, what would you say like the average amount of revenue per property comes into the company? If I had to average property. out short terms, midterms and long terms, yeah. different price yeah, points, all there, varied. About $350 to $400 a month per a property. Month. Okay. So Let's say then, so then we know the math. We know if we have one property manager, they could manage 100 properties, which would then be, and just doing the math on my calculator, let's say... thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a month in revenue. Yeah, so thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a month in revenue. So then it's then doing the math of how much is it going to cost to pay for that property manager? So that's the other math that you then need to do um, is what that market analysis is on that role of like, okay, if this person, is this person going to cost us four grand a month? Is it six grand a month? Is it seven grand a month? And so then just doing the economics on that is just making sure the business can then still be profitable when you're bringing on these new hires. And then the way that you hire is you could do it one of two ways. You wait until everyone's drowning and then you bring on someone to you know, help, or if you are anticipating that there's going to be a large spike of growth, you bring them on a little premature. Like maybe one can handle 100 properties. You have one, you know, handling 75 right now. Then you might want to bring on the second one when you're at 140 or 150 properties so they can slowly integrate into those 40, 50 that they're going to be taking on under their management and then successfully grow it to 200. And then, you know, 
maybe around 180, 190, mm, we need to start advertising for another property manager because once we hit 200, we're at our cap for our second property manager. So we're going to need to get a third one in. So I always look at like, okay, if it's going to be Thirty-five to $40,000 um, in monthly revenue. I want to know what does it cost to fulfill on that thirty-five dollars to $40,000 for the team that's going to be serving it. So it might be six, seven thousand a month in actual, you know, and in salary that you're going to be paying someone, but then looking at what are all the other, all the other costs that are associated with it as well. So you can keep a healthy margin for the business as well. But again, like you can choose to hire a little bit premature, which I prefer to do is so I'm not just drowning the team, but sometimes you get surges of growth and that's just what happens is once everyone's drowning, you're bringing someone in and that's, you know, that just happens at times too. But you need to just know what your numbers are, how much can be managed by one person and then hire according to that as well. Um, and a good way to know what that is, is the property manager should be the one to know. And since he's a partner, he probably works a little bit harder than the property manager would. So whatever he thinks he could do a month or manage a month, maybe take 70 to 75% of that and have that be the actual number for the person you hire. Because the person you hire isn't going to care as much as he does. Love that. Love, love, love that. That's perfect. And those ancillary people around him too is kind of what I'm looking at. Okay, we need to have a runner. We need to have an admin person. Can you effectively manage a hundred properties like this? Because it's different than regular property management on our end too. Yeah, Airbnb is way, way, way more labor intensive than yep. long rentals, right? And there might getting- be different divisions as you grow too. Like there might be a division that's Airbnb management. There might be a division that's midterm. There might be a division that's long term. Like and so it becomes different department heads. Like those are just things you'll think about as you grow. It's like one doing all of it, and then it's like oh crap, like we have a big need for Airbnb. Let's specialize someone just managing Airbnb. Like those are just things to think about too as you go. I love that. That's exactly what we'll be doing too. Love it. Love it. Um, well, man, I, I appreciate, uh, appreciate you coming on and, you know, having the conversation, um, you know, again, my, my goal with this podcast is to be able to help those, you know, small business owners grow from the, you know, just doing everything themselves, that solopreneur stage where you're freaking, you know, treadmill running and, you know, feel like you're on a hamster wheel every day to, you know, building a business beyond yourself. You know, that's, that's my, my whole goal and, you know, helping people achieve that is, uh, is super, super fun for me. So, um, with that being said, what would you say to someone else that's, you know, maybe they're in the six figure range and they're trying to get to a million or more a year in revenue, what would be your biggest tip for them? My biggest tip for them always on my end, because I came from sales and marketing and all that kind of stuff is figure out where that revenue is going to come from, figure out how to anticipate where that revenue is going to come from. That way you can grow that revenue and then be able to implement these things that we talked about today in order to grow the team, in order to get the fulfillment side of it dialed in. But like you mentioned, the sales and the marketing is the oxygen to the business to begin with. Then we have to take care of the heart of the business, which is going to be the operations. Yep. 100%. 100%. Well, love it, Stephen. Um, appreciate you being on and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll be having you on again here soon. Absolutely. Would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Cody. Really, really appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to implementing a lot of the things that you mentioned to me today. Awesome. Love it.